If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code twelve twelve and get forty dollars off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code twelve twelve. Sleepcoolnow.com, twelve twelve. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this March 19th, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this program where we talk about the news of the week and the events of my often bizarre life and where we provide you with at least a full two-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. I hope you had a good week. I had a very interesting one which I'll talk about in great detail. Uh, First, let me give you a heads up that in hour number two, we're going to be joined by Washington Post political reporter Dave Weigel, who is going to discuss with us a whole series of interesting topics involving the world of uh, politics and specifically uh, what to expect from the health care bill, which is scheduled to be voted on in the House of Representatives this upcoming week. So make sure you check out our number two for our weekly interview. Also, make sure you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com to check out not only all of our past shows, which are certainly worth your attention, but all of the articles and news stories related to me and this program, specifically what I usually write for Mediate as a columnist who writes about three times a week for Mediate and their sister website, Law News, three new uh, columns there this week, as well as a brand new video of an interview that I did for Glenn Beck's television program. Glenn and I discussed a number of things in my trip to Dallas this week, but one of the things that we did was we spent about uh, an hour on his television show discussing the nature of the media in general, and there's a clip Uh, From that interview, most of that is embargoed as part of Glenn Beck's Blaze Network, which you have to pay to be part of. But there's uh, about a four or five minute clip that you can see at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which will give you a sense of that conversation. Uh, And Mediate just put up, um, actually just as we're taping this, they just put up a news story about that. We'll get that up at freespeechbroadcasting.com as well. But you can find that on my Twitter and Facebook pages, I'm sure. Uh, So that's uh, uh, of interest. Now, the reason why uh, I was in Dallas to talk with Glenn Beck is rather interesting. Uh, First of all, I have discussed in the past that I have gone on Glenn's show several times during and just after the election, mostly because we were two of the very few conservative political commentators who were very much negative towards Donald Trump throughout the election. In other words, we didn't just change our opinion because he became the Republican nominee and because, you know, we were blackmailed into saying, well, look, if you don't go with Trump, uh, the alternative is Hillary. This is a binary choice. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. So that would kind of be, allowed us to get a kinship, which was odd because those of you who are fans of the old nationally syndicated radio show, which I used to host with Leah Brandon, who was a huge fan of Glenn Beck. Leo always used to say that Glenn and I were a lot alike, and I was very, very, very hesitant to accept that because I had a neg- mostly, not totally, negative view of Glenn Beck because of my perceptions of how this business works. 
And I always knew Glenn to be an exceedingly good host, very entertaining. But I perceived, because I'm very cynical towards everybody in this business, that he was almost all entertainer. And then I was suspicious that because he had so dramatically shifted his whole persona from back when he was a, a DJ in Louisville, Kentucky, where I also worked, that had a big influence on my view of Glenn. Is I'm like, wait a minute, how could somebody change so dramatically? And of course, he had fought alcoholism and found uh, religion and all that. And so I was very skeptical. Thought he was talented. Thought he was right about a lot of things, wrong about a few things, but that's natural. But I was very skeptical as to who he really was. And I figured at some point he was going to sell out on Trump. Well, I was wrong. And he has paid a very, very deep financial price as his, his network for his principled stand on Donald Trump. And that, to me, that says a lot. You put your money where your mouth is. Not too many people in this business are willing to do that. In fact, no one is, which is how we got Trump as the Republican nominee to begin with. So that was really impactful to me. And while I've done several interviews in the past with Glenn Beck, I'd only met him one time. I met him, ironically, eight years ago, almost to the day, uh, because of my documentary film about the 2008 election, Media malpractice, how Obama was elected and Palin was targeted. And as I joked with him, I said, Glenn, the last time I met you, or the first time I met you, the only time I met you was eight years ago. And of course, not much has changed in the world since then. <laughs> Almost everything has changed since then, uh, especially when it comes to conservative media. But uh, at that time, you know, I, I had basically the same impression that I, I did before the whole Trump phenomenon. He's really good, really talented entertaining, but I don't really trust him very much. And so as this has evolved and I've become convinced by his principal stand on Trump and we've gotten to do a few more interviews together. And I, I've played my favorite clip from Glenn Beck uh, several times on this podcast. Uh, John Ziegler. I, I think he's fantastic. What a, what a interesting mind he has. Well, well, thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. So anyway, long story short, here's how the trip to Dallas came to be. So I had done an interview uh, late last year about this. Uh, some, some of you may remember this story. There was a viral story that involved a Santa Claus in Tennessee who claimed that he had cradled a dying five-year-old boy in his arms in a hospital. And th this became a, a huge news story right around Christmas. And I debunked it as being obviously false and was vindicated, although the, the Santa Claus was never forced to admit that it was false because the story was just too good. So the media just basically semi-debunked it and then moved on. Let's move on. We're not gonna we're not gonna venerate him anymore, but we're just gonna we're not gonna destroy him either. So let's just left the leave this as one of those crimes better left unsolved, really. And but the reality is the Santa Claus was lying. And you can check that story out if you just Google Santa Claus, John Ziegler, Mediate. It'll all come up. And it's a fascinating story. But anyway, at the end of that interview that I did with Glenn on his uh, radio show about that, I said, hey, you know, this story is a lot like the Penn State quote-unquote scandal. Maybe one day we could talk about that. And Glenn's ears picked up like, what? Huh? What are you talking about? How could that possibly be? There's no way. Huh? What? And Glenn's not a sports fan, so he wasn't really ever deep into the Penn State scandal, but everybody's obviously heard about it. Everybody's talked about it in the news media. And everyone presumed that, because there's no been no vocal other side that the media has given a voice box to, everyone's always just presumed that, well, something similar to what the media claimed is true. Anyway, I had done an, an, a separate interview on another Blaze network show, radio and TV show, the Pat and Stu show, where I had pretty much convinced those guys that my view of the Penn State scandal, which was that it was all a myth and basically Trump's, in Trump's words, fake news, that I was right. And they convinced Glenn uh, to at least give me a hearing. And he said, all right, you know, after the Trump news starts to die down next year, we'll have you on. I was like, okay. And I wasn't sure whether or not to 
really trust that because I realized that Trump was going to be everything. This was going to be all Trump all the time. And it's almost impossible now to schedule anything from a programming standpoint on a news-related show, whether it's radio or television, that's not Trump-oriented. It's just not possible. And, and you can now get bumped on a moment's notice if the president on the toilet at 6 a.m. decides to tweet something crazy. So, I mean, we're, we're basically in an all-Trump, all-the-time media environment because that's where the ratings are. That's where the content is. No one wants to get caught talking about something other than Trump and have some big Trump news break. So we scheduled this like a month and a half in advance that I would come to Dallas because I knew that this would have no impact if I just did this on the phone. So I said, I'll come to Dallas on my own dime. And (laughs) because I'm already deep in debt on this, covering this Penn State story, I I mean, I purposely have lost money. I've not even tried to make any money on this. I have no ads on our website, framingpaterno.com, which is where you can find all the information about what really did and did not happen in this story. No ads on any of my YouTube videos. Uh, you know, the, the reality is that I have, I don't know what the number is. I don't even want to know what the number is, but I'm definitely deep in debt, which I had promised my wife I would never do on this story. And so because of that, I use Air Miles to take a red-eye flight because I don't even want to spend the 150 bucks or whatever it would be on a hotel. So we schedule this a month in advance. This past Thursday, I'm going to be in Dallas. I say to these guys, the the Beck guys, I said, look, happy to come to Dallas. Just, you know, give me some semblance of time and some platform here. I'll do whatever interviews you want. I'm happy to talk about this. And they said, yeah, no problem. You know, we we promise we'll make it worth your while. So I take the red eye, get zero sleep because it's hard to, very difficult, at least for me, to sleep on on a plane. And I get in. At 6 a.m., had my first Uber experience, which was horrible because for some reason Uber has basically taken over the airport there in Dallas. I, you know, I, I did not have a very good Uber experience, although finally did get there. And um, and I met Glenn, uh, and we had a nice discussion before the radio show, the, the radio and TV show. And I really didn't have a hundred percent expectation. Uh, I was hopeful that they were going to give me a fair hearing, but boy, they uh, exceeded even my expectations, which are usually pretty low because in this case, I'm always presuming I'm going to get screwed and that low expectations are a pretty good defense mechanism. But um, Glenn and I had a very interesting conversation off the air about uh, you know the nature of the world in which we now live, thanks to Trump. And um, we really hit it off. And then during the program, I, I was stunned. I was essentially on the show for about two and a half hours of the three hours. Uh, And about two of the hours of that was going through the entire Penn State story. And you can find that. The best place to find that is actually at framingpaterno.com because I've put all of the interviews that I did with both Glenn Beck and others on his network. There were radio interviews, TV interviews, and two Facebook Live interviews, which were really great. You can find all of that at FramingPaterno.com. In fact, at FramingPaterno.com, there are two video clips now embedded into FramingPaterno.com. One from me on the actual Glenn Beck radio and television show, and another, which is a really fun 35-minute Facebook Live uh, program that I did with one of Glenn's co-hosts, Jeffy, which really, if you know nothing about this case and you're at all interested in the reason why the timing was chosen as it was is because there's a trial scheduled to start on Monday, March 20th, involving Penn State's former president, Graham Spanier. He's on trial for his freedom, being accused of things that I'm positive could not possibly have happened because you can't cover up something that didn't occur. And I've spoken with Graham dozens of times, dealt with him under the most difficult of circumstances, met with him, uh, talked with him for hours, I know the case better than anybody does. There's zero chance he's guilty. He's an innocent man going up against exceedingly difficult circumstances because the media, the judge, and the jury pool are completely polluted against him. And so that's really what facilitated the timing of all of this. And if you're 
interested at all in this case, just watch that Facebook Live video with Jeffy at uh, FramingPaterno.com because that will give you a really good synopsis. The other clip with Glenn Beck will also give you a pretty good uh, perspective as well, but that's much shorter. But make sure you go to FramingPaterno.com for all of that. And, and there is a link in between the two videos where I have put together all of the interviews that I did with Glenn Beck and his people. There's like five or six of them. And they're definitely worth checking out, even if you're remotely interested in this story. And you should be, regardless of whether or not you give a damn about Penn State or Grant Spanier or Joe Paterno or Jerry Sandusky. This story is, without a doubt, the most egregious example of what I have termed media malpractice in my lifetime. This whole story is fascinating. I mean, I've lived it for over five years. I could not possibly, you know, the, the fighting of an injustice is one thing, but if the story wasn't interesting, even it couldn't, it couldn't even keep my attention for five plus years. But the real story of what happened is amazing. And the short version is that when this story broke five and a half years ago, everybody who should have been wearing a white hat as the good guys and everybody who should have been wearing a black hat as the bad guys. They got their hats flipped by the news media. And because of that, everything that happens after that is a domino effect of injustice. Everything's upside down. All the good guys are the bad guys, and all the bad guys are the good guys. It's the number one rule that I have for this case. Every single thing you hear about this case is not just questionable or inaccurate. It's almost invariably the opposite of what's really happening. Like, for instance, the big news this week. I'm sure many people have questions. Hey, Zig, if you're right, how in the world is it that this week two Penn State administrators, according to the news media, pled guilty to their role in the cover-up of the Jerry Sandusky scandal? It's a good question. It's based in a falsehood because that's not what happened. It's not at all what happened. What happened is that two guys, former athletic director and former vice president at uh, Penn State, guy who was in charge of, among other things, the the campus police, guy by the name of Gary Schultz, after five and a half years of being pounded and paying attorneys and being destroyed in the news media, and being vilified as public enemy number one, and being lied about by everybody, including their former employers, and by the free report, and everybody else, after five and a half years, a week away from trial, they were given an option to plead to a misdemeanor of child endangerment, which there is a 95% chance is going to result in zero jail time. Now, the media is not portraying it that way. They're portraying this as, aha, proof that this was all real. No, 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 no. Let's flip this around. And and, and this is the question the media won't ask, which to me is the primary question. If the prosecution really believes that these guys that they've been chasing for five and a half years actively covered up for the worst pedophile in the history of the state of Pennsylvania, if not the country, and allowed many other children to be abused if they really believe that's happened and they have the they know they have the judge on their side because every single ruling has gone in their direction they know they have the media on their side and boy do they use it and they know because polls have shown this internal and external polls have shown that the jury pool is completely polluted in their direction because of the five and a half years of really bad media coverage, if they really believe that they've got these guys, these horrible, horrendous people who enabled knowingly sexual abuse of children to protect football, and they've got everything on their side, the judge, the media, the jury pool, why in the world would they ever think about letting these bastards off with just a misdemeanor, never even having to face trial, and almost certainly no jail time. 
Why would they do that? They wouldn't. They would not do that. The reason why they are doing that is because at the very least, they know they have zero case and they're terrified that if this goes to trial and the jury isn't as polluted as they think it is, they're going to get their heads handed to them and they're going to be humiliated and that this entire narrative may end up falling apart. So they're looking to save face and they know all they need. Hell, they could have gotten these guys to plead to a traffic ticket and the media would have gone, oh, my God. Oh, oh, they're guilty, guilty. Oh, the humanity of it all. It's so horrible. That's all they needed. They knew the media would do their bidding for them. And boy, did they. And everyone's acting and playing as if somehow, oh, wow, you know, they have, they've, they've, they're now acknowledging their role. And the, no, they're not. No. no. Here's what's going to happen. They will be called very dramatically to trial by the prosecution as a show. And then they will say exactly what they've been saying to everybody else <laughs> in every other situation for the last five plus years, which is nothing happened. We didn't think anything had happened. We made a decision based upon the information that we had, which we thought was right at the time. That's what they're going to say. Now, the media, because there's no cameras in the courtroom in Pennsylvania, is going to have a stranglehold on the narrative, of course. So I'm sure it'll be a bunch of bull crap that'll come out of that court. I'm planning on attending on Wednesday. So I'll be taking another red eye. (laughs) Assuming it gets on, gets in uh, to the airport on time, should barely get me there into the courtroom on uh, on Wednesday, which most people expect to be the first full day uh, of the trial. And I expect to be doing some coverage of it for Mediate slash Law News. Law News now has a a uh, court, almost like a court TV online network. So I'll be doing some coverage of the trial uh, for them. But I'm not optimistic. I mean, I. I In fact, I've told Graham Spanier, who's on trial this week, that I'm not optimistic. He and I are in a bit of a feud right now. I mean, he's one of the few people I really respect out of all this. But, um, you know, we got in a fight the last time we spoke because his lawyers prevented last week's podcast guest from coming on the show out of an act of what I believe to be naivete, stupidity, and cowardice. And uh, I've told him that I think that his lawyers are being way too wussified and that he is likely to be convicted because of that. I certainly hope that's not the case, but that's my fear because that's the way everything else about this case has gone. And as far as last week's guest, which was the special agent or scheduled to be the special agent from the federal investigative services who had done a six month investigation for the federal government into Graham Spanier's top secret security clearance and concluded uh, nothing happened here. There was no cover-up. There's no reason to not extend Graham Spanier's top secret security clearance. That guy uh, is scheduled to testify on behalf of the defense. Despite the fact that he had the bail on the interview on last week's podcast, I did release the entire report exclusively. Now, in a rational world, this would be a major news story. What? The federal government looked into all this and found no cover-up? And there's a 110-page report that makes it clear and has interviews with everybody that should have been involved, including Spaniard's two co-defendants who supposedly just pled guilty? Yeah. Uh, Check out what they say in the federal report to this special agent, guy by the name of John Snedden, who was going to come on this program and who I've spoken to about a dozen times this week, and he, he basically had his pom-poms out cheering me uh, in Dallas uh, on the Glenn Beck show because uh, he believes in this case, and in my view of it, as fervently as I do. And this is a guy who's had his whole career in federal investigative services, NCIS and FIS, special agent, won awards. He's retired now, so he's actually allowed to tell the truth. Well, you can find the um, article and the report that I released exclusively both at uh, framingpaterno.com as well as our freespeechbroadcasting.com website. And uh, I urge you to check that out uh, because it really just shows what a fraud the whole case is. And the fact that the media completely ignored it proves further my basic premise on the media here. 
the best example I can come up with to show what the media is on this story, it's very, very similar to the media on global warming, on man-made global warming. It doesn't matter what facts come out. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter that the drought in California that was supposed to be perpetual no longer exists two years after we were told, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. We're never going to have rain again. Oh, now, actually, now it's all flush and green. Everything's perfectly fine. There's no drought anymore. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can come up with howitzers of truth. They are completely impotent against the fortress that the media puts up on global warming, man-made global warming. And it's all based upon the same premises as the Penn State case, which is the consensus has spoken. The experts have told us what the truth is. There's no possible way everybody that we deem to be an expert could be wrong. This John Ziegler, we don't consider him to be part of our club. So what he's saying cannot be true. It doesn't matter that he knows way, 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 way more about the story than we do because we all couldn't be wrong. It's not possible for all of us to be wrong. And by the way, if you question us, you're a bad person. You are a bad person. You are in favor, in the case of global warming, you're in favor of the environment being destroyed. You hate babies. It's the same thing with me on the Penn State story. You are in favor of child molestation if you don't accept our narrative. Well, no, actually. I've got an almost five-year-old girl at home and another girl on the way any day now. Um not me, no. Frankly, I hate child molestation, of course, like anybody else who's remotely rational. But that's a real great counter-argument. Why don't you argue with me on the facts of the case? No one ever does that. I've tried, I've tried numerous times to offer thousands of dollars to charity for somebody involved in this case to debate me, and no one will. Gee, I, I wonder why. But the, the trip to Dallas was really interesting Glenn's studio is amazing. The people there were tremendous to work with. Glenn really impressed me both on and off the air, and his ability to understand this case was extraordinary. I mean, he brought things up that, you know, people who have studied this very carefully for a long time, uh, they usually don't even get. But he got immediately some really important points. And so... If you go to FramingPaterno.com, you can see uh, and listen to all of those Glenn Beck interviews, and I urge you to do so. And I definitely have newfound respect for not just Glenn, but everybody at The Blaze. They were so respectful, and it was such a pleasure to finally, after five-plus years, be in a place where someone was willing to actually be fair and listen and ask legitimate questions, and have an open mind, and give me more than five minutes before they start screaming at me, or even less than five minutes, before they start screaming at me that I'm a pedophile protector. Uh, It was really extraordinary. Now, it's not going to have any real impact. In fact, you know, Glenn, during one of the commercial breaks, as he was, I think, becoming, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it seemed like he was becoming convinced. He said, you know, three years ago or so, you know, being on this show might have made a difference, but I don't know now because of the change in the media landscape. I said, Glenn, don't take it personally. <laughs> this is not going to have any impact <laughs> because no one's going to pick this up because the news media is so invested. Everybody is so invested in a myth on this. It's a lot like trying to convince five-year-olds that Santa Claus does not exist, which you would think it would be the opposite. Like everything in this case... Take what you think and then turn it upside down. That's probably the truth. You would think that people would think it was Santa Claus-like, that, oh, my gosh, thank goodness, there was no actual child sex abuse in this case. You would think that's the way people would respond. But for some strange reason, the vast majority of people, they don't want to accept that because for a number of reasons. One, the nature of this case. 
and you would have to accept that these these uh, accusers who have put have had halos put over their head before anyone even knew who the hell they were. I mean, I actually I had I had dinner um, after the Glenn Beck appearances with a bunch of Penn Staters in Dallas who were nice enough to to buy me dinner and take me to the airport. So after five and a half years of work, I get that going for me, which is nice. But anyway, one of the things that uh, that they all found to be most frustrating and most amazing is that uh, a key point in this whole story comes right after Joe Paterno was fired. And Penn State, out of guilt, out of liberal guilt and self-flagellation, decides to hold a candlelight vigil on campus where 10,000 people show up on the night before a football game instead of a pep rally. I think they canceled the pep rally, and they they have a candlelight vigil, 10,000 people with candles, to, I, I guess, pray for and honor these accusers that they knew nothing about not one of these accusers at this point had spoken publicly in any way in fact no one had all we had at that point was a 23 page grand jury presentment and they're having candlelight vigils for people who are only identified by numbers and what the prosecution said was their allegation well here's the bottom line reality that no one will tell you this will blow your mind But the bottom line reality is that Penn State University held a candlelight vigil, 10,000 people show up for accusers they knew nothing about who would end up being paid almost $100 million by Penn State for things that never happened, which they would then spend that money mostly on sports cars and gambling junkets. And oh, by the way, their lawyer fees. So... So, so how bizarre is that? I mean, people, 10,000 people at a candlelight vigil for people they knew nothing about. They didn't know their identities. They didn't know the details of anything about what they were saying. And these are people who would end up spending money given to them by Penn State on fancy sports cars and gambling junkets. And it was all a fraud. But no one will tell you that. Except for me. And thank you to Glenn Beck for being open-minded enough to allow the truth to be told. It will likely have very little impact, if any, but at least there's now a record of that. And you can find it at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. And and also, uh, you can find uh, at freespeechbroadcasting.com and framingpaterno.com. But at freespeechbroadcasting.com, I do want to make sure you check out that clip of Glenn Beck and I talking about the news media which we just added to freespeechbroadcasting.com. And as I said, media, I did a news story on that uh, today on Sunday. And speaking of the media, and even with a uh, obvious uh, Glenn Beck connection, I, I do have to mention that uh, one of the hosts on The Blaze, Tommy Laren, the super hot blonde, very pro-Trump conservative, She's gotten involved in a, in a weird, cons- a, not conspiracy, controversy uh, that occurred just after my visit at The Blaze. And, and I will say that uh, the coverage that you've seen, there's been some coverage on The Daily Call or and elsewhere that Tommy Lahren is on the outs at The Blaze. I know no inside information. But having been around the block, I can certainly say that I have no problem believing that those stories are true. <laughs> because when you're in the media, all you got to do is say someone's name and you can tell a lot by people's reaction. And it was very clear to me <laughs> that, that I have no reason to doubt the stories that are out in the last 24 hours or so that Tommy Lahren uh, may not make it to the end of her contract which is apparently up in September uh, at the Blaze. For those of you who have not heard, she made an appearance on The View on Friday, a TV show that I was once on. And in fact, weirdly, I had invited Tommy on this podcast this week. I said, hey, Tommy, I'm going to be in Dallas. I'd love to interview you while there for the podcast. And she agreed, except she said, I'm going to the view on Thursday, so I won't be there. And so I was like, okay, well, good luck. 
blah, blah, blah. And what's made news about the appearance on The View is that Tommy all of a sudden has said that she is ardently pro-choice, which is super weird because it was like two months ago where she did a full segment on her show, or at least part of a segment on her show, about the horror of baby killing that is abortion. And you're like, what? 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 Where is that coming from? How does that happen? I mean, she's only like 24 years old, but that's a really rather dramatic change of heart and a suspicious place to do it. Because obviously, when you go on The View (laughs) about... I think almost all the hosts and certainly almost all of the audience, both in studio and on television, is probably also pro-choice. These are very liberal women. I've been on the show. I know. And so if, if you're going to make a, a, you know, a transformation on your view of abortion, that's a pretty good place strategically to do it. Interestingly, she, she tweeted today that a lot of the people giving her grief for her flip on abortion, although she didn't phrase it that way, are the same people who didn't like Trump and thought he could never win because she's, oh, she's on the Trump train bigly, bigly. And, you know, her her uh, ratings of fame have definitely benefited from that, like a lot of other people in the conservative media industrial complex. Well, there was a video that was put out by Reagan Battalion, who you should definitely follow on Twitter, uh, which I tweeted as well, which is Tommy Lahren during the primaries saying that Trump could not win either. So her criticism is the people criticizing me hated Trump and said he couldn't win, yet she also said Trump couldn't win. Of course, that I guess the expiration date on that is long since passed since that would have been last spring, almost a year ago. Heck, her, her view on abortion doesn't even last, you know, past a couple months ago, apparently. But the, the point of all this is here's a rising star within the conservative media industrial complex. And it's obvious, couldn't be more obvious, that she is crafting her positions for nothing other than her own personal career benefit. She wasn't on the Trump train, but then when it became obvious that it was beneficial to be on the Trump train, She's not only in the Trump train, she is leading the charge. She's tooting the horn. She's got the pom-poms out in in huge ways. And then for some reason, she decides, I'm going on The View, so I'm going to say I'm suddenly pro-choice. This is why you shouldn't trust media stars. Because media stars are selling a product, almost all of them. And that's why I now have... Respect for Glenn Beck, because he's one of the he's the only guy I know who lost in real big significant ways. I lost in small ways because I'm not I'm nobody. But Glenn Beck has an empire, a lot of people working for him, a, a massive stake in all this. And he knowingly took a stand on principle on Trump, fully aware it was going to harm him. He even had the conversation with his family about it. Before he did it, he knew what he was going to do. And yet he still had the courage of his convictions. Tommy's exactly the opposite. She is following the audience for the purposes of crafting her career. And that's probably going to work for her. She's exceedingly attractive, blonde, young, hot, got a fiery personality. You know, a lot of... uh, Trumpsters, I'm sure, love watching the hot blonde chick have bigger balls than Donald Trump even has. I'm sure that they get a real big thrill out of that. And she's going to ride that, and she probably knows that her days are numbered at the blaze for a number of reasons, not just the fact that she's crafting her positions for her own career enhancement. But so she's looking for the next gig. And now, you know... So she she's creating a career. She's an actress. That's what she is. But she's not alone. The vast majority of people in the news media, especially on the conservative side, are actors or actresses. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I've, I've effectively gotten out of this. 
Because that's not me. I can't do that. It's just not in my DNA, for better or for worse. And I, you know, I've done things I'm, I knew were going to damage me because I understand the game well enough to realize what the rules are. But on the other hand, it's become more of a game than even I realized. See, I knew it was a game. It's kind of like sports. The analogy I use, you know, when I was a kid, whether it was real or not, I thought that sports, even at the professional level, was almost all about the game. It was almost all about winning and team loyalty, you know, that kind of stuff. Over time, as money became a larger and larger influence, I realized, especially at the professional level, it's not about the game. It's a business. It's just a business. And once it's just a business, you forget about why you cared in the first place. And, and, you know, I used to think it was more of religion than a business sports, especially, and I think we're seeing that on the college level. College sports, especially college football, has been sold as a religion, but now it's being treated as a a pure business. Well, eventually, if you treat a religion as a business, people are going to stop thinking of it as a religion. And the reason why they were devoted to it is going to dissipate. Unless they're complete imbeciles. Idiots! Imbeciles! So unless, you know, you're able to fool all the morons all the time, people are eventually going to catch up with that. Well, the analogy from sports to politics is that I always knew there was a business element to the to the media and the conservative media and the commentary and talk radio, whatever. I get that. I can live with that. I'm not, I believe me, I'm not pure. I get that there's a business element, but there's a thir- certain threshold beyond which at least I'm not willing to go, which is to make it all a business. And the people like Tommy Laren and Sean Hannity and even Rush Limbaugh, to them it's all a business now. That's all it is. Fox News Channel, other than Chris Wallace and Shepard Smith, it's all business. And when you're manipulating your own belief system, you know, that's the final straw. Because then it's just an act. So I'll be curious to see what ends up happening with uh, Tommy Lahren. I, I doubt she'll ever come on this podcast, but she's always welcome to do so. I uh, would love to talk to her and ask her some of these questions more directly. Speaking of the news media, the big story this week in the news media was, did you hear that Rachel Maddow from MSNBC somehow got Donald Trump's tax returns? Now, You heard about this probably because before the show even aired, there was an enormous amount of buzz, both on television and on Twitter, because Maddow had very mysteriously and cryptically tweeted out a tease. We've got Trump's taxes. I think she even said Trump taxes at first, which made people think, does she even have Donald Trump taxes or does she have Ivanka Trump taxes or who, who, which Trump taxes does she have? Anyway, I wrote a column for Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, explaining why we all should have known that this was going to be very similar to the Geraldo Rivera Al Capone's vault situation. That it was very clear that she had nothing. And that's what happened, because she got on the air after all this hype did about a 20-minute commentary, which, to be fair, I thought was pretty interesting and certainly made a pretty strong case for why it's completely absurd. It's just flat-out ridiculous. That Trump was never forced to release his taxes during the campaign. I mean, that, to me, is the biggest issue here. (laughs) I mean, how does a guy whose entire argument for being president His entire argument is, I'm rich. That's his entire argument. I'm a great businessman. So so there's never been a candidate in the modern history, or maybe in the entire history of the country for president, never been a candidate whose finances were more important to understanding who he was than Donald Trump. And yet he's the guy who gets a pass 
in not releasing his taxes, even after he had promised to do so on multiple occasions, and then he lies, lies, saying he couldn't do it because they're under audit, which makes no sense. The IRS has said, you can release your taxes if they're under audit. And by the way, the guy's 70 years old. Not all of his past taxes are still under audit, if any of them are. He could have released 20 years of taxes before the audit. But he chose to lie. And then he lied again, saying if he got selected, he'll release them, which he didn't do. So that, to me, has always been the most mind-blowing part of the whole deal. How does he get away with this? And more importantly, why is he so willing to lie to get away with it? That's the real question, folks. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to realize, wait a minute. (laughs) The guy's running for president. He's blatantly lying at every opportunity. He's telling us he'll release them and then doesn't. No one else has ever done this before in the modern history of the presidency. There's got to be a reason. He has to be hiding something. It's obvious. It's obvious. Except to Trumpsters. The cult members say, oh, we don't care. We, no one cares. By the way, that was a critical moment in the disintegration of the relationship between me and my former radio co-host, Leah Brandon. She started using this mantra that no one cares about his taxes. And I was like, wow. Really, Leah? So the Trump cult virus has gotten all the way to your brain. Because that's the only way that you could logically say that. Or forget about logic. That's the only way that a, a statement like that could come from a otherwise reasonably intelligent person. Why would you not want to see his taxes? You only don't want to. Here's why you don't want to see his taxes. Here's why you're not interested. You're afraid what you might have to confront about your guy if it becomes public. That's what's really driving Trumpsters on the taxes. They know. They know there's something not right here. And my God, if Hillary Clinton had done the same thing as Trump on her taxes, oh my God. We'd never hear the end of it. But they don't understand the, the concept of hypocrisy, the Trump cult. So anyway, eventually Rachel Maddow gets to, yeah, here's what we got. We got two pages. Two pages? Seriously? Two pages from Trump's 2005 tax return, which tell you nothing. It just tells you how much money he made and what the final bill was. And, well, he made less money than you might think for a guy who claims to be, at that point, I'm not sure what he was claiming he was worth. It probably wasn't the full $10 billion because, obviously, you know, my guess is his, his misestimate, <laughs> gross exaggeration of his own wealth has increased since 2005. But clearly, in 2005, he was claiming to be a multi-multi-billionaire. And so the income doesn't really wash with that, but it's at least within somewhat of the ballpark. And he also paid like $34 million in taxes, which, again, for a multi-multi-billionaire is very low, but it's still still $34 million. And the most interesting thing about the document was that it was stamped client copy. So... Gee, I wonder where this came from. I wonder. Gee, let's let's put our thinking caps on here. Let's see. Only two pages get mailed to a reporter who's been looking into Trump's taxes. And they're from a year where his income's not that bad and his tax bill's not that bad. And there's no other information other than those final numbers. And it's stamped client copy. I wonder where that could have come from. Hmm. The reality is Trump or somebody close to Trump had to be the source of this. It makes no other sense otherwise. Because if you're trying to harm Trump, at the very least, let's say somebody with a negative view of Trump 
somehow got access to the first two pages. Well, if you have access to the first two pages, you probably have access to the whole thing. Because what's the scenario where someone other than Trump, someone with ill intent, gets access to two pages but not the whole thing? How does that happen? That doesn't make any sense to me. So if you have the whole thing, why wouldn't you leak the whole thing? You would only not leak the whole thing if you were trying to protect Trump and you only wanted to make sure that the story was very simple. Here's what he made. Here's what he paid in taxes. No scandal here. Let's move on. And the way my mind works, the way this went down, while it was embarrassing for Rachel Maddow because she, you know, the boy who cried wolf, and and boy's probably not the worst description of Rachel Maddow, but I digress, the, the reality is that the way my mind works, clearly this is completely consistent with the narrative that he's hiding something because otherwise it wouldn't be released this way. If he had nothing to hide, we'd at least see the full tax return for that year. And that, there's good evidence that that year was a particularly good year for him. It was the first year he did The Apprentice. The economy in 2005 was pretty good. The real estate market hadn't crashed yet. So my guess is this was the best return Trump has ever had from the very basic perspective of how much money did you make and how much tax did you pay. He strategically leaks just the first two pages, and he gets the added benefit of him, which he could never have anticipated really, of embarrassing one of his enemies, Rachel Maddow and MSNBC, because they jumped the shark in overhyping it. And as I write in my column, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, you should never trust the overhyping. Because if a news organization truly has something great, they don't need to overhype it. And by the way, MSNBC would never have been the place where that would have been revealed. It would have been NBC Nightly News. If she really had something, they would have put her on with Lester Holt. That's their flagship news program. So just use your brain next time this kind of thing happens. But in in the long run, nothing about the Rachel Maddow story in any way, shape, or form discredits the, the theory, which I'm in agreement of, with that Donald Trump is hiding something in his taxes. I don't care how much he's bitching and moaning and how it was illegal, league, blah, 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 bullcrap. He's hiding something. Otherwise, we would see his taxes. And it should be pointed out that when Maddow released the tweet that, hey, we got Trump's taxes, the Trump White House officially released his tax information that was on those two pages before her show, which logically proves to you, oh, yeah, so that bit about we're not allowed to release our taxes because they're under audit was bull crap. They did it themselves. I saw somebody tweet, which was really very funny and quite prescient. Wouldn't it have been awesome if Maddow at that point had said, uh, psych, we never really had the tax returns. <laughs> you just released them for us. But the reason why that isn't reality is that They had sent the Trump White House what they had, those two pages, for their response and didn't get one until they went public with it. And then the Trump White House tried to preempt things with the information they provided, which also exposed them as hypocrites. But that's not going to affect the Trump cult because Trump can do anything he wants and they're still going to support him. One other uh, media story that I want to get to. In hour number one, which to me, and I and I get into this with our guest, Dave Weigel from the Washington Post in hour number two. But this wiretapping story, which I know the news media is obsessed with. All right. I get it. But I also understand. I get why people might think that it's over coverage. But let's take a look at what really happened here, folks. I say all the time that we are totally desensitized when it comes to Donald Trump and that stories that normally would be a huge, have huge impact with him are diluted because we think, oh, well, it's Trump. You know, we're used to his insanity already. And so therefore, stories that might have completely torpedoed a prior presidency don't really have that much impact 
when it comes to him. But let's let's just go real quick through what's happened on the wire tapping story. So Trump decides out of anger that a Breitbart story that was based upon a Mark Levin commentary. By the way, Mark Levin went after me again this week on his show. Sorry I'm so underneath your skin, Mark. Obviously, I'm renting some space in your head, Mark. You can check out my column on what provoked that at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But anyway, I digress. So Trump tweets out, just found out that Obama, quote-unquote, wiretapped me at Trump Tower during the campaign. He then tweets that Obama is a sick person. So this notion that he's not blaming Obama. See, some of his people have tried to say, well, if you forget about Obama and you forget about wiretapping and you forget about Trump Tower, what Trump said might have been true. <laughs> Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> but but you, you can't get around he, the idea that he was, I get the wiretapping. He did put wiretapping in quotes. So I'm willing, since it's Twitter and he's limited to 140 characters, as if, by the way, he's president and couldn't get on any other media to make this claim. <laughs> So he was limited to just 140 characters on Twitter. I'll give him some benefit of the doubt on putting wiretapping on quotes. So maybe he meant surveillance or spying of some sort. Okay, I'm I'm all right with that. But you cannot make the argument he was not implicating Obama because he goes out of his way in, in subsequent tweets to attack Obama as a sick person for having done this to him. So this creates a firestorm. No evidence whatsoever is provided. No logic is provided. And slowly but surely, all sorts of denials from people who should know if this was true come out saying, "Uh uh-uh, no evidence of it, and we're going to flatly deny it. Never occurred. Doesn't make any damn sense. Slowly but surely, even Republicans on intelligence committees start saying, nope, didn't happen. Uh, I'd rather not talk about it. No evidence that occurred. Nothing to back this up. This is after Trump puts the onus on Congress. I'm going to make this allegation that's complete bullcrap. You go figure out whether it's true. Congress comes back and says, sorry, we got no evidence for this. So now Trump is a choice. He can eat humble pie, which he's never going to do, admit he's wrong, apologize to the former president he, he alleged had committed serious felony crimes, or he can do what Trump does. <laughs> he can double down in an effort to try to save face in his own ego. So at, when the Breitbart story has been discredited, what does he do? Andrew Napolitano from Fox News Channel rushes to the defense of the king and comes up with a story that he has sources saying that it was actually British intelligence that did this surveillance of Trump on behalf of the Obama administration. Now, this is even more it's just flat out ridiculous than the original Obama wiretapping story, not to mention way more dangerous because now you're implicating our number one ally in Great Britain. And this story has created enormous controversy in Great Britain, 100% negative towards the United States because it's obviously bullcrap. And let's take a look at Andrew Napolitano. Andrew Napolitano is a D list lawyer judge fox news channel pundit he is basically half a step if fox news channel fired him tomorrow he would be below judge judy on the legal food chain the the only reason he's given any credibility is he's on fox occasionally he happens to be among other things a dabbler in 9-11 conspiracy theories He's done interviews with Alex Jones, you know, the conspiracy nut job that Trump likes so much. And I mean conspiracy nut job. Giving credibility to the idea that 9-11 was an inside job. We've now learned that his alleged sources for this story, and it wasn't a news story, it was just something he said on Fox News Channel. He might as well have farted. That's how much credibility it had. But apparently one of these sources is a guy who has been involved in a hoax Michelle Obama story before and who wasn't even given the information, allegedly, directly. He's a secondhand source who's a hoaxer. The point is, Napolitano has no personal credibility. 
The story makes no sense. His sources have less than zero credibility. And Trump, at a press conference with the German chancellor, Merkel, references Napolitano as a great legal mind and says, check with Fox on whether this is really true. Check with Fox. He says this not just publicly, but in a joint press conference with one of our major allies. It's insane. If any other president did a tenth of this, even Republicans might be saying, you know, maybe this guy isn't really uh, fit for office and maybe we should uh, invoke the 25th Amendment or maybe we should, you know, maybe Mike Pence really should be taking over here. I mean, in all seriousness, this is impeachment stuff in a rational world. He's, he's, he's charging people with felonies with no evidence, and he's the president. He has access to everything. It's not, he can he can make a phone call and find out. Hey, did this really happen? But he doesn't want to do that. It's a lot like the taxes. We don't want the facts on this because then we're going to have to accept the uh, the reality that our king, our king is insane. Our king, the leader of our cult, the emperor has no clothes. He has no clothes at all. And so now he's doubled down on this insanity. I don't know where it's going to go from here because both stories have been completely discredited. The media is not letting go of this because they know they have them. Shepard Smith even discredited the Napolitano story on Fox News Channel in the most dramatic way you possibly could. But even that worked to Trump's benefit because it's only if Hannity discredits it that maybe somebody in the cult might go, okay, Trump screwed up on this one. But as long as Hannity's full on board kissing Trump's rear end, and he is, he's completely in. He's as as deep as you can get. Uh, he's beyond neck deep. He, he's in over his head uh, up the butt of, of Donald Trump. So Shepard Smith is already seen as a cock by the, you know, as a sellout, as a liberal as, a, as an anti-Trump person on Fox News Channel. So I don't know where this is going to end. But because Trump ain't going to apologize. And the media, you know, my guess is the media will finally get distracted and move on to something else. But Trump is completely wrong on this. It's a very serious and real story with true implications for, if nothing else, our intelligence agencies, their credibility, as well as the credibility of the presidency of the United States and our relationships with some of our major allies. This is why I fear the Trump presidency. He doesn't have the emotional, psychological makeup to be president because he's a narcissist who only cares about himself and protecting his own ego, even if it costs the United States presidency credibility as well as strains our relationships with some of our major allies. That's the definition of being unfit to serve as president. And that's what Donald Trump is. But nothing will happen because the conservative media industrial complex is going to stay with them as long as the ratings do. Now, the big thing this week is going to be the health care bill is up for a uh, vote supposedly on Thursday In hour number two, we're joined by Dave Weigel of the Washington Post to talk about a whole series of issues related to the media and Trump, as well as specifically the health care bill, which he's done an enormous amount of reporting on for the Washington Post. So make sure you tune in for hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast. Also, please go to freespeechbroadcasting.com for all of my columns for Mediate and FramingPaterno.com for all those news stories involving uh, my trip to Dallas this week for the Glenn Beck series of interviews. You can find them all at framingpaterno.com. And, of course, I'll have more on that entire story next week on the podcast as I'll be heading to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to check out at least one day of the Graham Spaniard trial, which is scheduled to start on Monday, and I'll be covering it for the Law News website, the sister website of Mediate, for which I am a columnist. Make sure, as always, you remember that I only ask two things of you. If you like this podcast, share it with other people via Twitter, Facebook, or other social media. Tell people about it. Uh, make sure you tag me if you do. Share it on social media. And the second thing I ask of you is actually a favor to you. If you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, 
you actually use Sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again? <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.